0: Welcome to Small Biz Brainiac, providing employer intelligence that helps you navigate the regulatory landscape and keep you on course running the business you love. Here's your host, Thomas Rock Lindsay. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 131 Certified Payroll. I'm your host, Robert Attridge, and this is the podcast that delivers employer intelligence two days each week in a short 7-10 to 10 minute episode. My co-host, Thomas Rock Lindsay, delivers the Tuesday show and I deliver the Thursday show each and every week. Today I wanted to discuss certified payroll and how it differs from your normal everyday payroll practices. First of all, what is meant by certified payroll? Generally speaking, certified payroll occurs whenever your company contracts with the federal government on a specific project. The federal contracts will dictate certain requirements that the business that was awarded the contract will need to follow in order to maintain the contract. Local governments may also require certified payroll on local projects. And while local certified payroll requirements are generally similar to the federal requirements, For the purposes of today's podcast, I'm going to speak to the federal requirements of the certified payroll. Before I get into the requirements of certified payroll, let's discuss how certified payroll requirements came to be. In 1931, a senator from Pennsylvania named James J. Davis co-sponsored a bill along with Long Island, New York, Representative Robert L. Bacon. This bill was approved by Congress and President Herbert Hoover officially signed into law creating the Davis-Bacon Act of 1931. The law was designed to require any contractor or subcontractor working on a federally funded or public works project to pay a prevailing wage to its laborers or mechanics. The prevailing wage is established by the Department of Labor and Industries for each trade and occupation. This all sounds nice, right? A prevailing wage would typically mean better pay and or benefits for employees. Interestingly, though, there has been a lot of controversy surrounding the Davis-Bacon Act since its passage. Critics state that the prevailing wage provision often results in a higher-than-market cost to taxpayers since the Department of Labor often sets the prevailing wage 22% higher than the market rate. Now, that number is according to a Beacon Hill Institute study. As a result, this prices out smaller contractors and tends to give an advantage to larger contractors that can afford to pay higher wages. Perhaps, or perhaps not, coincidentally, these larger companies tend to have a larger percentage of unionized employees. This has led to many historical claims of it being a racist law preventing minority workers from gaining employment since they were less likely to belong to unions. Now, we could go off on that tangent and dig even more into the history, but we really don't have enough time to do so with this podcast format. I do recommend taking some time to look back through the history of the passing of the law if you have time. The original iteration of the law has been amended many times over the years, and even recently has had calls to be repealed. As of today, the law is still on the books, but it's definitely something to keep an eye on in the near future as there seems to be more noise around the law currently. So we define certified payroll as being a requirement to pay workers the prevailing wage as set forth by the Department of Labor for any federal government contract projects. We explain the Davis-Bacon Act of 1931 that put the prevailing wage and certified payroll requirements into place. So let's go over these requirements in a little more detail. Let's say you bid on a government job to renovate a public building and are subsequently awarded the contract for the project. Now you have a certified payroll to deal with. Typically, in the contract, you'll be notified of the prevailing wage requirements for each type of laborer, meaning that your electrician should be paid at a cash wage of X dollars per hour, your carpenters would be paid at Y dollars per hour, and your plumbers should be paid at Z dollars per hour. Also, watch out for stipulations on overtime. I've seen some contracts that dictate that overtime be paid as double time. More than likely, you'll have fringe benefits that will also need to be paid. Fringe benefits may include things like health insurance, paid time off, retirement contributions, etc. There may be a stipulation that allows you to pay a cash equivalent in lieu of the non-cash fringe benefit. Now, one of the most important details of the certified payroll process is properly tracking each employee's hours worked by job and by day. The reason you'll need to keep such detailed time-tracking records is the fact that you'll need to be reporting this information back to the appropriate federal agency managing the project. Form WH-347 is mandatory for contractors and subcontractors performing work on federally financed or assisted construction contracts. The Copeland Act requires contractors and subcontractors performing work on federally financed or assisted construction contracts to furnish a weekly statement with respect to the wages paid to each employee during the preceding week. The Act also requires a signed statement of compliance indicating that the payrolls are correct and complete and that each laborer or mechanic has been paid not less than the proper Davis-Bacon prevailing wage rate for the performed work. Department of Labor and federal contracting agencies receiving this information review the information to determine that employees have received legally required wages and fringe benefits. Form WH-347 was created by the Department of Labor to assist contractors in the reporting of the certified payroll information. The form must contain the name and address of the contractor's place of business as well as the name and address of the project location. It must also contain the assigned contract or project number, Additionally, each employee that worked on the project during the preceding week must have their name, employee number, along with their trade, electrician, mechanic, etc. The number of hours worked by day, the total number of hours for the week, the gross pay, the tax withholdings, any qualified deductions, and finally the net amount wages received by the employee. The statement of compliance that I just mentioned a moment ago along with the signature attesting to the accuracy of the information would accompany this reporting. So that's a lot of information. If any of this gives you anxiety or you're thinking to yourself, this is quite a burden to manage, most payroll services should be able to produce the certified payroll reporting and provide it back to you to submit back to your federal agency. Well, that's all of our time for today. When you have a moment, if you have not already done so, please visit our website, smallbizbrainiac.com. We have a couple of free offers for you there. Please don't miss out on free stuff. Well, that's a wrap. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Thanks for listening to Small Biz Brainiac. To get your questions answered by Thomas directly, visit smallbizbrainiac.com. And for more employer intelligence, be sure to join us again here on Small Biz Brainiac.